Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of God. Will you pray with me? O Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Quicken our hearts so that we might believe these words and help us not be left to be hearers only, but doers of this word as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, <clears throat> ask the kids here a question. You know, wh- what's the hardest part of Christmas? Um, I don't know what you might say. Three weeks ago, you walked out of here for the worst 24 hours of your life, which was to wait a day before Christmas morning. How many of you kids woke up before your parents on Christmas morning this year? Okay, that, that's pretty universal. My parents would keep sending us back to bed, you know, starting about four in the morning. Oh, waiting is the worst. But what if you had to wait 60 years for Christmas? One of the people in our story, Anna, she did. And the other person, Simeon, he probably waited a very long time as well. 
They had both spent a long time waiting. In fact, God's people, Israel, had spent 400 years waiting. But when they saw what they waited for, Anna and Simeon, when they saw what they waited for, they were overjoyed at what they saw, even happier than the, our Christmas mornings. I have a little bit of bad news, kids. Grown-ups have to wait, too. Isn't that true, grown-ups? Uh, and it's not just for fun things like Christmas. Often it's for hard things. You know, we wait for a doctor's report or uh, we wait for somebody's heart to thaw toward us. Uh, sometimes we wait for a helpmate that seems will never come along. We wait for a loved one's suffering to end. We wait for our own suffering to be over. Whether it's suffering in body or suffering in soul, we we wait for prodigals to come home. We wait for what may be a mental or psychological darkness to lift. We wait for sunshine. Well, Simeon and Anna had been waiting a long time. Israel had been waiting almost 600 years, but the whole human race has been waiting since that day uh, Adam and Eve became a law to themselves. As the Christmas carol says, Long lay the world in sin and darkness pining. So really, waiting is something that everyone has to do, and a lot of the times it's really hard. And since we have to wait, we should learn how to wait. It makes sense, doesn't it? We need to learn how to wait well. <clears throat> Because as we'll see from this story in Luke's gospel, if we learn to wait well, it'll be worth the wait. Uh, Anna and Simeon finally saw what they waited for, and their joy was almost inexpressible. It's that they waited. But it's not just that they waited, it's how they waited. It's what they had been doing during the waiting that made them joyful. And so for us, I would like us to learn how to wait like they did so we can have the same joy they did. And when we look at waiting this way, we're going to see it's, as the sermon title says, a wondrous work. That waiting becomes a wondrous work. And I'll explain in different ways why it is wonderful. We're going to learn from Anna and Simeon that God is a promise-keeping God, and waiting is the work that is worth it. Because we're waiting on God to do his wondrous works as he has promised. And so it's our opportunity and our responsibility even to do the wondrous work of waiting ourselves. The first thing I would like us to see as we learn how to wait is the wondrous reward of waiting. You see, Anna and Simeon had a wondrous reward and because they knew what they waited for. They knew what had been promised. They knew what they waited for. The same for us. Our waiting will be wonderful, joy-filled, if we know what we're waiting for. First of all, look at the occasion for their joy. We read in the beginning of the passage that uh, when the time came for their purification, according to the law, and Mo- law of Moses, this is Mary and Joseph. Uh, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, there are two Old Testament um, requirements or laws involved here. A woman, after giving birth, had to go to the temple to have a purification offering made uh, for her. And so Mary is coming for that purpose. 
But Jesus, um, as the firstborn of Mary and Joseph, also must be presented to the Lord because every firstborn that opened the womb, the law said, belonged to the Lord, whether it was sheep or oxen or children. And so Jesus was bring brought, uh, being brought to be dedicated to the Lord. And uh, besides the fact that um, they're making this dedication for him, they actually bring him to the temple. Now, the dedication of the firstborn did not have to happen at the temple. It can happen in a person's village where they were born. But this actually, and this is a little hint at reading Luke's gospel, uh, there's a little theme going in Luke's gospel that really fits what Anna and Simeon were expecting. You see, God had promised in places like Isaiah chapter 40, the first five verses, uh, I won't turn and read it, but you can take note of it. God had promised after he had, after he had left the temple, after the glory departed in the days of exile, he, through his prophets he had promised one day he would return to Jerusalem and return to Mount Zion and he, his glory would fill the temple once again and, and, and he would gather the, uh, the scattered, uh, members of his people to bring them back to him. And, and it was prefigured, especially in the Isaiah 40 passages, God coming across the wilderness. That's, that's what John the Baptist preached from Isaiah. Make a way for the Lord because the Lord would come through the wilderness just like in the days of Exodus. And he would bring his people behind him just like the glory cloud led people in Moses' day. Well, in Luke's gospel, God is coming back to the temple. Because even in the very next story, when Jesus gets lost, not at the shopping mall, you know, not at Disney, but uh, his parents lose him on a pilgrimage to the temple when he's about 12, and they finally find him at the temple. What did he say to his parents? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? See, even though Mary was his earthly mother and Joseph was his father, according to um, uh, the perceived... uh um, uh, laws of the day. Uh, his heavenly father was the Lord, and he, as the Son of God, was coming back to restore the Lord's presence in the temple. And so all throughout Luke's gospel, it's this slow march so that those who are taking care of the temple, those to whom the temple had been entrusted, could get ready for his coming. Unfortunately, if you know the larger story of Luke's gospel, you know the, the stewards of the temple, the, 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 the stewards of the vineyard didn't give tribute to the Lord of the vineyard. But that's, that's the larger story. But here you have this first tick of God coming to his temple to fulfill the promises, to free his people from captivity, to bring them back to his presence and to dwell among them as he had promised through the prophets. That's what Anna and Simeon were looking for. And the language of fulfillment is all throughout here. It says uh, that they uh, that, that, that pre- they came to present him in verse 23, and as is written in the law of the Lord. And then, um, and, and then in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said, in the law of the Lord. And so we find the language of fulfillment rife 
in this passage because God is coming to fulfill what has been written. And they knew what they were looking for. Uh, Anna and Simeon knew that that's what they were looking for. Just as the Malachi, the prophet in chapter 3 said, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly return to his temple. That's what they were looking for. And uh, it's called in verse 25, the consolation of Israel. Come to set his people free, as we sing in the in the in the Christmas carol, the consolation of Israel, or as Anna, it's described down in verse 38, the redemption of Jerusalem. They had studied the scriptures and they had spent all these years waiting, waiting on God to come back after years of exile, and they saw it because they knew what they were waiting for. When I was a senior in high school, my little Midwestern town marching band went to Mardi Gras to march in a few of the parades. A little bit of an eye-opener for Midwesterner high school boy. Uh, we got word while we were down there that Gerald Ford would be stopping at the Marion Southern Illinois International Airport on his presidential campaign, and our band was invited to play Hail to the Chief when he got there. Uh, we also, I think we played Hail to the Victors as well. Um, some of you know that that's the Michigan fight song. Um, but uh, we practiced and practiced. We we got there and we were, we were lined up along a rope line. And, uh, of course, Air Force One is always late. Uh, you know, um, that's just the, uh, the way campaigns go. And finally, the Air Force One came in and, the you know, the... The expectation, the excitement grew, and they, they pushed the stairway up next to that big airplane, and, and people began to come off and go on, and, and, uh, my band director was standing with his baton, and, you know, every time somebody would darken the door, he would raise his baton, but it wouldn't be the president. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, there was an advanced person who worked for the president, who was standing next to my band leader who knew, <laughs> who recognized when President Ford was about to come out. And he cued us and we played hail to the chief right at the right moment. You see, we needed someone to testify to us, to witness to us who we were honoring, who we were waiting for. And Anna and Simeon do that. They are part of this group of witnesses. There's there's Mary and there's Elizabeth and there's Zechariah and there's the angels, right? There's there's all these witnesses in the beginning of Luke's gospel who tell us what happened. So for us, they are our witnesses to teach us what to expect. That we need to recognize who the Lord is and what his promises are and to wait for his coming and to be trained to wait with a good eye. And that means a couple of specific things, I'll just say. First of all, we have to recognize he's not here yet. The kingdom has come. The church has been given the Spirit. We have the Spirit of Christ. He is with us until the end of the age. But we wait for a Savior from heaven. And 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 that means recognizing the darkness, that the world's not the way it should be. Some churches actually had blue Christmas services this year. Have you heard of that or heard of the expression blue Christmas? Christmas is not always a happy time. 
for people. I know when my father passed away at 65 years old in 1981, but there were many Christmases after that from between the November 2nd date of his death and Christmas Day. Those were not happy times for me. But there, there are a lot of reasons not to be happy because the world is not as it's supposed to be. So just because we've celebrated Christmas doesn't mean God's work on earth is done. So we need to recognize the darkness. And if you recognize darkness and you don't think people uh, will will like it if you point out the darkness, listen, you're, you're, you see like Anna and Simeon, you see the world in sin and darkness pining. And we're waiting because it is dark continually out there. But also hear the promise of restoration. You know, that, 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 that the coming of Christ is not just an idea. It's not just a, uh, uh, an abstract notion, but, uh, the, the world will be healed one day. One great, uh, Old Testament text behind what's happening here is Isaiah 25. Uh, that's another good one to read, uh, and during the day if you have a mind to. But Isaiah 25 actually talks about the end of tears and sorrow and hardship sounds just like the end of the book of Revelation. So we still wait for cosmic healing. So we can ask, um, you, uh, according to the, the Christmas carol, do you see what they saw? Do you see what Anna and Simeon saw? We need to learn to recognize what who what the Lord has done and what He will do. So that's that's the the uh, the, the the work of waiting. The 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 second thing I want us to see is the witness of waiting. The witness of waiting. You know that spiritual go tell it on the mountain. Well, Anna and Simeon went and told it. <laughs> Right here in Luke chapter 2, and of course, Luke himself the, uh, uh, bore witness to what had happened by his gospel. Um, uh, think back in the beginning of Luke's gospel. Mary sang the Magnificat back in chapter 1, and, and it fulfilled the promise to Abraham. And Zechariah, when his mouth was finally opened again, he sang the Benedictus. Um, and now uh, we see in... Uh, here in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, what is known as the nunc dimittis. Now let your servant depart in peace. They all were bearing witness, not just for themselves, but according to God's inspiration of the Luke uh, as a gospel writer, their songs have become witnesses to us of what we're waiting for, uh, that God has come to redeem his people. And uh, this plan is more than just a plan for Israel. Think how Luke's gospel put the, the story of Jesus on the on the chart of cosmic history. When it mentions the 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 census that was called for by the, the Roman Empire. You see, uh, Luke is dating the coming of Jesus in relation to worldwide history. And the coming of Jesus is of worldwide consequence. There are Greeks who come to know Jesus through the life and ministry of Jesus and the witness of the apostles. Luke's gospel is just the first half of a, of a book, and the rest of the book is the book of Acts. And so what we have here is just a sample of the witness of these waiters. And they don't just witness to the coming of Jesus, they also witness to his passion. You get hints of it here, don't you? You see, uh, this child will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This isn't a typical, you know, you know what a reveal party is, right? It's those parties that we have before the baby's born where the gender of the uh, the baby is revealed. This is this is a this is a, a reveal party, and that this isn't a celebration. This is an ominous forecast. That as 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 I like to think, Luke's gospel begins. It's about a baby who has teeth. You know, most babies don't born with teeth. Rarely, uh, and will be it to the mother who nurses the baby with teeth. But here we're talking about, as Mary sang it. This child shall be the cause of the rise and fall. Of, or I'm sorry, as Mary saw it, uh, he will bring down the mighty from their thrones and and uh, and uh, exalt the humble. He will fill the hungry with good things and and the, and the rich he will send away empty. Jesus is going to turn the whole world upside down so that the greatest among us, whoever aspires to be the greatest among us, will be a servant. And if anybody wants to live, they have to take up their cross and follow him. And so... Uh, the witness of, of 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 Simeon here is is to 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 warn Mary. There's pain ahead because this child will grow up not only to challenge the religious uh, structures and the religious leaders of the day, but to die for the sins of his people and to rise again for their life. And so this is what they're witnessing to. Uh, so they waited. As good witnesses. Their waiting was part of their witness. The fact that they had been there all those years waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. When I, uh, the little church I grew up in, in the small town, uh, 3,000 people, um, you know, by the time the kids go off to college, you know, they're not typically coming back home to Sunday school on weekends. When when I would come back home for the weekend on Saturday night, I wasn't thinking, when, you know, getting together with all my old friends. I wasn't thinking about, I can't wait till Sunday school in the morning. I was thinking about seeing my old friends from high school. Um, but there was a woman from uh, in, in my church. Her name was Iva Chenoweth. And uh, she had a one-room house about the size of a big living room. She had a whole bunch of cats. Um, and uh, she grew a lot of her food. You can start to get a picture here. Uh, she loved, loved studying the Bible, and so she was the college Sunday school teacher. And so every Sunday morning, she had a Sunday school lesson for the college students who came back to visit over the weekend. And every Sunday morning, she went into the Sunday school room to teach her lesson to no one. <laughs> Uh, and so when I came home, my mom and dad said, you're going to Sunday school. Remember, remember Miss Iva. She's going to be there. She's, she knows you're home. <laughs> uh, uh, so, and sure enough, I'd go, I'd go to Sunday school. I'd, I'd peek in and there was Mrs. Ch- Miss Chenoweth sitting there with her Sunday school lesson ready with her notes out waiting. You see, she was a witness. Uh, really a witness of the faithfulness of God, that God is waiting, God shows up, God is waiting for us. But he uses his people, he appoints his people to testify to what he has done and what he will do. 
How do we do that? If look to Anna and Simeon, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we bear witness in worship. By gathering together, we await the Lord's death. That's how the communion instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 end. We proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. We wait for a Savior from heaven. Every time we gather at this, this table, we, we, we remind not only ourselves, but we, we bear witness to whoever will listen and pay attention that we are waiting for the Lord. That's one really simple way. Of course, the other one is bearing witness in telling. Look what Anna did. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She spread the word. She was like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She ran back home. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. The Psalms are full of the psalmist saying stuff like, you know, he lifted me up out of the miry clay and he, 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 he set my feet on a solid rock and he put a hymn of praise into my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. The Psalms are full of, uh, of testimonies as are uh, the Gospels, the blind man who said, I, had, I don't know how it happened because I couldn't see when it happened. <laughs> it's a funny little story. They, they're like examining, who healed you? He said, I don't know. I was blind when it happened. <laughs> it's not exactly what he said, but it is kind of funny. He said, what does he say? It's the words from Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see and 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 this is what Peter testified to at Pentecost, the wondrous works of God. So our witness is just saying what God has done. We often think we to witness we just have to give people doctrines and and um, and Bible verses, but all, you know a big part of witnessing is saying, "This is what the Lord has done for me." And so we we, we from their example, we learn to wait by worshiping and by bearing witness. You know, um, have you ever tried to, like, point out something at a distance to someone, uh, like, say, a star or something, and they say, where is it? I don't see it. It says, well, it's, it's, it's you know, just about 30 degrees up, and they say, I can't see it. So you point, and pointing at a star does absolutely no good to help somebody find it. But often you can find what somebody's pointing out if you look at what they're looking at. If you follow their gaze. You know, the <clears throat> the hymn says, The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Are our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Well, let's, let's talk more about that. We'll get, we get now to the last W, which is the wondrous work of waiting. The wondrous work of waiting. We've, we've seen the reward. We've seen the witness. But the last thing I'd like us to see is the wondrous work. Because you see, waiting is not just a passive thing. Waiting is an active thing. Waiting is work. We have to commit ourselves to the work. Uh, well, it sort of stands obvious, doesn't it, how, um, Anna and Simeon did that. We find in verse 25, we're told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we know that um, Anna's been in the temple um, 60 years, more or less, 
And when she runs out, she tells everyone else who is waiting. We know that Anna and Simeon worked at waiting. You don't just persevere like that unintentionally because you have nothing better to do. But we're also reminded of the work of waiting if we look at the last two verses. Uh, Verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Those two verses tell us this is just the beginning of a story. And those who want to see the end of the story must wait for it to come. They must wait for it to come. Uh, so if we just very simply, um, like Anna and Simeon, they not only tell us what happened, but they are our examples for us to learn how to wait. Some of you are probably have read, maybe some of you in high school even, Zora Neale Hurston's book, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Zora Neale Hurston was from uh, Eatonville, just uh, near Winter Park where I live, up in the Orlando area. She was a Harlem Renaissance figure, and uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God is her best-known work. And the story is almost somewhat autobiographical, although it's it's a just it's a fictional novel. And the story is about an aged Janie Crawford, who's recounting her life story. So the whole novel is kind of a flashback from Janie telling her life story. And and um, a, a, one of the themes of her story is looking for someone who would truly love her. She has a wealthy husband who takes good care of her materially, but he's not very affectionate. Uh, she has a husband who is, a second husband who is somewhat passionate but violent toward her. And the story eventually finds its way down to Belle Glade, which is on the south side of Lake Okeechobee in the muck farms in the low country down there. And, um, and at one point in the story, this is where the title of the book comes from. At one point in the story, there is the great uh, 1928 um, hurricane that uh, killed many in the area of Lake Okeechobee. And um, at one uh, point in at that at that critical point in the story, as Janie and her husband Tea Cake, as they're sitting inside their home. And all the others around them are in their fragile homes waiting for the floodwaters to come up. Here, here's, here's what, here's what Hurston, Thurston wrote. Um, they sat in company with the others in their shanties, their eyes training against crude walls and their souls asking if God meant to measure their puny might against his. They seemed to be staring at the dark. But their eyes were watching God. You know, as they sat subject to the elements and the great winds and the rising waters, it says they might be thought to be staring at nothing, but their eyes were watching God. What are eyes, what are our eyes set upon? We will be miserable waiters or terrible waiters or we won't wait at all unless we have something to fix our eyes upon like Anna and Simeon. We groan as they groan. Romans 8 tells us we groan awaiting the redemption of creation like 
Anna and Simeon, we have to train our eyes on God, fix our minds on the things above. Colossians 3, you, where we are seated with Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, where you have been raised and seated with Christ. We need to fix our eyes upon the promises. And there are some simple ways we can be good waiters to do that. First of all, knowing God's promises. Knowing God's promises. Uh, to, that we are seeking a city which has foundations. Not the city that we see but a better country, uh, a city whose architect and founder is God. Uh, we, we, we stand on God's promises. Besides knowing God's promises, we stand upon Him, upon them. That we take our stand. You know, the, the old Confederate song, in Dixieland, I'll take my stand. Well, where do we take our stand? We take our stand on the promises, as the old gospel hymn sings, that standing on the promises of, of Christ my King. We we stand in the promises, and we have to learn the promises. And I'll, there there are a couple of challenges to that. I'll mention briefly. One uh, is um, accommodated hope. You know, we we don't we don't wait when we give up hope. Uh, when we don't expect things to be better, or if we give up hoping that things will be better. We uh, we abandon hope. But Paul said a word to us about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This one thing, everything hangs on this one thing. If Christ was raised, as Flannery O'Connor wrote in his in her story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, if, if Jesus was raised from the dead, there's nothing to do but throw away everything and follow him. But he was raised from the dead. And so we hope not in this life alone, but we hope all in the world to come. Or, or the absence of hope. You know, we do one of two things often. We settle or surrender. Now, settle means uh, we just quit expecting things to be better. Uh, there were many in Jesus' day who were like that. You know, the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection? They were the most accommodated to Roman rule. They fit in. They joined the Roman country clubs and they sat at the Roman uh, banquet tables and they, they, they were, they fit, they, they fit in quite well with the occupiers. And, 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 and Jesus had plenty to say to them because they didn't, they didn't, Long for the kingdom of God because they found the kingdom of Rome good enough. Don't settle. Or surrender. Surrender just means giving up. Saying it's not worth it to hope. And, and this is, this is very challenging. I mean, we live in a day when resilience has crashed. Uh, there's a book coming out this spring called The Anxious Generation. Uh, but um, we see it, uh, if you talk to a school teacher, <laughs> you'll hear them say it, that uh, children are not as resilient as they have been in past generations. I, you know, there used to be the helicopter parent, but now there's the snowplow parent. You see, the helicopter parent hovered over the child, but the snowplow parent just crashes through every barrier so the 
children don't have to face hardship and difficulty. But, you know, that's, that's how we all sometimes feel and act. That somehow challenges, difficulty, trials, tribulation have no fruitful purpose. Romans 5 says something different, that therefore, having peace with God, we exult in our tribulation, knowing that perseverance, uh, that, that, that produces hope and, 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 and hope is, uh, the outcome, has the outcome of joy. So, don't surrender. Don't settle. But learn from Anna and Simeon what it is to wait. Learn to wait. Um, Because as Isaiah said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And as the the scripture song says, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. So my wife and I were avid Jeopardy watchers. Not, that's not something I would have said in high school to my friends. Um, but we're avid Jeopardy watchers. I, I don't know if there are any others here, but um, uh, there's a, something in, in, the, in the Jeopardy uh, game where it's called a daily double. <laughs> Dre knows it. And when, when you get a daily double, you can bet as much as what you already have won. So you could put it all in. You can you know, uh, you can bet your uh, ranch, so to speak, and if you if you win, you double your money. If you lose, you're back down to zero. One of the best Jeopardy players ever, uh, uh, second most winning ever. Uh, he happened to be a professional gambler from um, from Las Vegas. Apparently, you know, um, a few people win and make a living at it, and. And and he was a gambler when it came to Jeopardy, and and he he was a very good player as well, very smart. But whenever he got a daily double, he always bet everything. But because he was a gambler from Las Vegas, he would do the he would just do this. That's what that's what a a poker player, or a roulette player, or a blackjack player, or somebody sitting at a table. That's what they do when they want to bet at all. They they just take their hands and they shove all their chips into the pot. Listen, uh, we're not gambling here. But the question or the challenge for us is, are we all in? Are we to be pitied if Christ wasn't raised from the dead? Are we hoping for this life only? Are you all in? This is... What the example that the but the testimony, but also the example of Anna and Simeon, would challenge us. Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. That's the challenge of these two faithful, aged saints to us today, and uh, a challenge for us to also be good waiters after their example, so that others might also be all in. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Help us to look full in his wonderful face. Help us to not be fooled again.
by all the things we trust in for a moment, for a time that fail us. Help us by the inspiration of these two godly, aged saints to wait upon you. And may you, Lord, be faithful to your promise that you would um, give us strength to wait. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.